This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome and Happy New Year to episode 7 of John Richardson and the Future Notes. I am John Richardson and I am joined by the Future Notes, Mr. Mark Stevenson. Hello. And Mr. Ed Gillespie. Hello. I hope you had a wonderful uh, break from us and were able to be fruitful and have whatever Christmas and New Year was allowed in your region or country of origin. Uh, we start... Not with your emails, which is what we usually do, isn't it, guys? Usually start start yeah. a show with a quick chinwag about some of the correspondence we've had. Yeah, we had quite a lot. Of, we had quite a lot over Christmas. Quite a lot of emails, didn't we? Now, mm. one of us has done something wrong. That means we're not doing that. I don't. It's not me. I don't think. Is it you, Mark? No, it's not. It's not me, oh, John. Not I wonder me. who. It's, and it's not Michael, our wonderful producer. Hang on, I'll just just. Do a quick uh, sum here on some paper. So it's four of us, <laughs> and it's not three of us. So right. It must be me. It oh, must be me. Edwards. So, yes, I have to sit in the confessional box uh, and basically say, I I have been <laughs> very tawdry in actually installing the Future Notes inbox uh, on my computer. And then... In a moment of New Year organisation and self-discipline, I thought it's about time I did that. Uh, and then when I did, and when I began to uh, download the emails, it seemed to trigger off uh, a mutual out-of-office <laughs> reply uh, between all my multiple accounts, which then managed to generate this sort of death vortex of emails, which, uh, I mean, how but many not emails... Just, did... Not just for you, though, was it, Ed? No. <laughs> not just for I... me, no. I received 200,000 emails <laughs> in one day and it completely <laughs> fucked my inbox and I lost a bunch of my own personal emails yeah. because of your your yourness because of your attempt to do a good thing you I know. Twat. It was quite amazing, wasn't it? I mean, I, I mean, I got off relatively lightly because I realised at about seventeen thousand emails uh, that something was going wrong. Because I thought we're popular, but we're not that popular. Yeah. There's no, there's no way our inbox has got seventeen thousand emails in it. Um, and then I started getting abusive messages from Mark, <laughs> and he didn't even realise that there was a problem with the email at this point. Um, that was your opportunity to tell him. That was just your usual five a.m. wake up call. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I have to eat some humble pie here, and uh, my technological illiteracy uh, obviously caused an amazing amount of havoc. So apologies, listeners, if any of you have emailed in, uh, they've been lost in a deluge, a tsunami uh, of out of office replies. 
So if you if you have emailed either the show to pass comment or you've sent a personal email to Mark professing your undying love or agreeing with some of his more outlandish opinions on poetry and music, uh, if you can be bothered, then please do resend them. The, the problem seems to have been fixed. And other than that, we will, we will push forward uh, as usual. This show is uh, a, a sort of a bringing in the new year, isn't it? We ended last year with a, a sort of look back and a chat about the situation as it was at the time. Quite a lot's changed in the few weeks we've had off. So we will be starting uh, this year with a show about 2021 itself. And what better story to start with than somebody who tried to do a good thing, believed it would make everything better for everyone, and it all went tits up <laughs> and we had 20,000 protesters in our in the capital that is our email uh, account. <laughs> so we're here, it's 2021. A lot of people, I think, thought, Oh, a new year means things will get better. And I think anyone who's glanced at the news or walked past a newspaper stand will will have got the impression that that's not the case. Why is 2021 not already getting better? Uh, Well, I think the reason it hasn't got better is because all the fundamental problems of which COVID and Trump are symptoms are still there, basically. Uh, so, you know, the deep systemic failures of our world on, you know, economy, whether or the lack of constitutional reform or climate and biodiversity are all still there. COVID's still there. Prestige and democratic systems that are 200 years old. So, but the, I think the good news is that we've all become aware of it because it is going on. It is kind of just keeps coming back and saying, look, it's broken. We need to fix it. So it, the bad news, the tsunami of bad news in some ways could be good news. In I feel like the way I feel about it is like, it's a bit like we've had, you know, when sometimes you get, you have a health scare because you haven't been take, looking after yourself and that you start to take things seriously, like eating a bit better or exercise a bit more. I think the world is going through basically a massive brain scare and we've all got to wake up and start to do things, which is good. It's why the podcast exists, to talk about systems rather than symptoms. So, so it's good for us because if the world was fixed and everything was fine, what would we talk about? That's true. It's also like the arbitrary turning of the year doesn't necessarily mean improvement, does it? We always think, oh, you know, new year, everything's got to get better. And I think... Those first seven torrid days as you know, kind of the capital of the US got invaded and, and the COVID death rates started hitting record levels here, um, were really sobering. And I think arguably what we might call the long emergency that we're now in began quite a long time ago, but we've been really rather brutally bumped out of that complacency. And it's a bit like waking up with the mother of all hangovers where, you know, paracetamol and a, and a big glass of water are going to help, but it's not actually a cure. And in some ways, as anyone who's listened to this podcast knows, there's a sort of grim predictability about how some of these things have panned out. Although, as to be said, you know, there is now a sort of opportunity to make hope great again, uh, to paraphrase uh, the ginger shit gibbon who is now no longer in the White House. Yeah, And you have to actually honestly acknowledge your challenges before you can credibly begin to address them. Because I feel like we've kind of woken up from some sort of sweaty fever dream, you know, and you're lying there in the damp sheets. But then the aftermath of that is like that incredible inauguration, um, including that poem. And it was a poem, Mark. There was no prog in Biden's inauguration. You there know, plenty, was, There was plenty of prog. Jennifer Lopez and Lady Gaga are not prog, are they? they yeah, but if you mix it with Garth Brooks, they are. <laughs> <laughs> That's a quite 
it's a quixotic mix. And no, then when that poem by Amanda Gorman was incredible, and all the kind of the flurry of executive orders, restoring the Paris Agreement, and, and overturning some of the more bullshit and belligerent missives of the Trump era, they're obviously signs of better things to come. And, and Kamala Harris is, you know, the first woman VP of Black and South Asian origin. So it there's there's a lot of things to be hopeful about, even if it has been a bit of a blunt uh, experience over the last few years. The art of the possible is alive again. But I just did, did, it, did it strike anybody else that Trump on his way out was trying to appear like a statesman with some of his speeches? It's like it's four years <laughs> fucking too late, mate. Yeah. You know, like he started doing these kind of, you know, oh, violence is terrible and, you know, it's been a great honour to serve the American people. And, and it, it almost sounded like, oh, <laughs> what are you trying to do as if, as if we're going to forget the four years, you know, shit show. I think he's trying to stay out of prison, isn't he? I think that's I, that was what I thought because he's, he's, he's heading into a billion dollars of debt. Nobody wants to lend to him. And, uh, yeah, there's a whole bunch of lawsuits queued up uh, yeah. waiting for him. So um, it's going to be interesting. We haven't seen the end of that story yet. It could be the ultimate fall. I was homeschooling my daughter during the... Uh... The new dawn for America. I was trying to educate her on, you know, this is a big thing. And I know you're young. I mean, she's four. I was trying to sort of say, I know you don't understand, but I was saying it's like, you know, imagine our neighbors who live next door to us moved and we got a new neighbor and you wanted that neighbor to be someone who you got on with and who, you know, could help you and you could help them. Well, it was quite a good analogy. And her point was, this is boring. Why do they keep talking? Can I watch Scooby Doo? <laughs> Um, so, you know, differences of opinion there. You're sort of talking broadly about how things, when they're at their worst, you know, should facilitate some transition into solving those problems. And we talked last year about how it wasn't the time. Obviously, you've referenced the death rate, Ed, and that the case rate is still astronomical here. So it's not the time, really. We're in such a, a state of urgency around getting those cases down and stopping people dying. When do you think we start to shift? Because I haven't heard any conversation apart from on this podcast about the origins of COVID and, you know, the connectedness of the world and how you might think that somebody without much money having to eat not very good food in China isn't necessarily your problem. But you've seen directly now your nan suddenly got to wear a mask when she goes shopping. So that that conversation about connectedness and, well, this is how we stop COVID in the future, we bring us all up. I don't hear that conversation happening anywhere. Will it happen in 2021? Do you see this 12 months as almost too soon for us to have that conversation or is this the year in which we can get some massive change i think it's almost too late for that conversation i mean we should have been having that conversation a lot but i actually saw a survey this week which said you know less than 50 percent of people make any of the connections between climate change and ecological destruction and covid mm. you know people don't see they're not aware of there being a link at all i i think we've made this point before i still think people see it as a sort of monumental piece of civilizational bad luck uh, rather than something which is a probable and the least likely outcome over a longer time period of, of the way that we're living. Yeah, I mean, and talking about systems and the interconnectedism, I think a lot of that problem comes from the education system in that when you go into school, they split the world up into subjects and you study them in isolation from one another. And that's really tedious because all the interesting stuff is in the interplay of those things, the art and the history and the culture and the science and how they all meld together and what that means. So, you know... I think if you're going to talk interconnectedness and systems, if we had a more systems uh, literate education system, which was much more about nuance and interconnectedness, then we might, you know, we might have been solving these problems a bit better. But everybody's got their little solution for their little bit and tends not to see or want to see the big picture because that becomes complex and difficult. 
But, you know, we must. So to bring us back to 2021 then, do you see those things starting to happen in in this 12 months? Is this a pivotal year for the state of play of the world? I think every year is a pivotal year. That's the problem, isn't it? Depending on who you are and where you are. Um, I do think, though, that the world has been given a lesson in interconnectedness. I think people do now see more readily the interplay of inequality and biodiversity and climate change and the way the markets don't price in externalities and the way we've politicized some of the approach to COVID and the way our communities are linked. You know, So I do, I do feel there is a... Mm, I think there's a phrase that... Um, Ben Goldacre used to use quite a lot when people try to say simple things about, you know, the healthcare system. He'd say, well, I think you'll find it's a bit more complicated than that. And I think as a species, we might have realised that it's a bit more complicated than we thought it was. And maybe that requires a little bit more humility and a bit more patience. And so I do think that is true. And I, I say that because I'm seeing that happening in what I would think would be some of the most conservative spaces. And I use conservative as a small C. And like, if you go into government, you go into civil service, if you go into um, some old, long-standing you know, banks, for instance, there those conversations are now happening in ways that weren't happening a year ago or 18 months ago. So is it a pivotal moment? Um, yeah, maybe. What do you think, Ed? I think I've been asking myself the same question every year for the last 20 years. You know, is this a pivotal year? Um, I remember when I took my sabbatical to go on my sort of flight-free adventure around the world in 2007. Did you write a book book about that, Ed? I I, I believe I might have done. Um, Was that, was, was that, um, that's the only book you've written really, isn't it? That's the only proper book you've written. Yeah, exactly. And it didn't sell anywhere near as many copies as yours, darling. Um, well, not both of mine, actually, either, either of mine, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so as I was saying, every year is a pivotal year. And in, in 2007, I went off on that trip. Loads of my sustainability colleagues at the time were going, yeah, wow, interesting time to choose. You know, aren't you worried about missing out on such a pivotal year? And I think, you know, given the context we're in and the scale and urgency of things like climate change and these weeping wounds of inequality, which is, you know, globally, nationally, between genders and ethnic groups and the casual cruelty and indifference with which we treat in the natural world, every year, as Mark, you were just saying, every year is going to be a pivotal year for the next few decades. Uh, and not least because with every year that the systemic action we need is delayed, the task just becomes harder in every following year. So our sort of humanity to-do list has been growing and we're not ticking anything off it, um, anything like the pace required. Yeah, I think the people who think that Biden sort of going into uh, the White House is suddenly going to change everything, you know, that fails to understand that the reason you get things like Trump and populism and the capital rights, they're kind of an effect or a, a symptom of the fact that you haven't updated the software of American democracy for 200 years or the constitution. So it's no longer fit for purpose. And it doesn't matter whether a Democrat or Republican gets in, things get don't really change for quite a lot of people. Uh, and they don't get, you know, it's another Bush, another Clinton, and so what? So, um, you know, one thing that Biden is almost certainly not going to do is have any serious constitutional reform because actually the political parties, which are economies of scale, quite like the fact there's only two of them because at least they've got a 50-50 chance of being in. And having a more pluralist, participatory democracy is not something that, you know, uh, I mean, they talk about a bit, but, you know, the Democrats haven't really created it and the Republicans certainly aren't interested in it. Looking at Biden and looking at America, there's a lot of uh, focus on the news uh, as we record that Biden has immediately overturned Trump's denial of uh, Paris and uh, he's getting back into the sort of the vibe of COP26. Mm. We've had a, a tweet from Simon Goldsmith on Twitter who says, you know, we're focusing a lot on Biden returning, but let's look 
look at the UK and how much faith do you have in Boris Johnson and his team's ability, as he puts it, Simon, not to bugger up our odds of COP26 being successful? It's a very interesting question and particularly interesting to me because I've been in some meetings today about uh, this and there's a bit of a battle going on in the halls of power about what our role at COP26 is. And one view, uh, which I think is holding a bit of sway at the moment, is actually it's not our job to show any sort of you know international leadership. We're, we're just holding the event and we, we're, we're administrators of the event and we invite everybody and make it great for them to do stuff, which I think is just, you know, particularly in this moment, particularly post-Brexit, particularly as a whole world's eyes are looking at us seems a kind of a massive missed opportunity however there is another you know set of people in 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 government are going no this is our moment to shine and do something brilliant and go forward so i think it's in the balance uh, at the moment it's like control of the ipod at house party isn't it what what they're saying is we've put the nibbles out but i'm not going to decide on the mood of the party if it's a shit party i didn't have anything to do with it and that's my view at a party never touch the ipod because that's that's too key as to how good the party is yeah, I think there's a definite lack of ambition from some parts of the government, but I think there are other people who are going, come on, fucking hell, get on with yeah. it. And that's really risky as well, isn't it? I mean, you know, as some as a sort of climate geek who's been following the cops for years, uh, you know, I, I look back to one of the supposedly previously pivotal ones, you know, which was Copenhagen back in 2008, I believe. We had massive hopes, or 2009 it must have been, because Obama uh, was supposed to come in and help sort of save it. And the Danes were far too polite. You know, they were typically Scandinavian about it, and they didn't knock delegates' heads together in the way that they could or should have done. Whereas the French, who were masters of diplomacy, you know, and the ability to actually genuinely try and bring people together with a higher level of admission aspiration, and the tireless people who worked on that, um, you know, actually managed to get us to the Paris Agreement. And so, yeah, we've got a big act to follow, if you like. And how do you step up from that milestone? Yeah, I mean, the thing that I've been working on today is, you know, there was, a, there was an opportunity for something I'm involved, which I can't talk about, um, for the Britain to lead it. And there's this nervousness. So we're just going to another country and just saying, well, here it is. Do you want it? You can lead it. And they'll get the kudos for it. You know, the fact is that you know th- things need to get done. So if, if the British government won't do them, then we will find other people to do them in Glasgow. Oh, I mean, the conversation already, we're, we're starting this uh, series of podcasts talking about the year to come. We've already sort of ended up talking about the potential failure of the, the big environmental hope for the end of the year. We've already talked about COVID not certainly not being dealt with in the, in the short to medium term. We are, for me, just to be personal for a moment, in a, I think a worse situation than we were at the start of this. There was an unknown at the start of this, and apart from anything else, it was fucking summer, and you could open a window, even if you didn't have a garden, and get some enjoyment out of life. It's dark now, it's pissing it down, can't go outside. It's gone on a fucking long time, and it seems to be the conversation is edging towards it's going to go on a lot longer. One of the best things I think we did in our first one was your advice for people on a personal level about mental health and staying optimistic. And given that, you know, 20 minutes into our first show of the year, we've tended towards some quite negative thinking. What what can you say to people about keeping their heads straight for the next sort of 12 months? Well, I, I definitely resonate with that question because it's, it is tough at the moment. And, you know, I speak as somebody who's probably got it a lot less tough than most people. I feel very privileged, mm-hmm. you know, that I've got a garden, you know, and I'm at home with my kids and all that kind of stuff. But what I've done this year is I've just decided just to accept it. I think there's a, there's a five stages of grief, isn't there? Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and then acceptance. And I think 
I woke up this year and just thought, you know what? I'm going to stop being angry about it or upset about it because I can't do anything about it. And that's just wasted energy. So, you know, I just wake up and realize that I'm not going to get things done that I want to get done today. I'm not going to go to the pub at the end of the day and we're not going to have the old world back. And I think once you've kind of accepted that in a strange way, it becomes much easier to deal with it and do what you can where you are with what you've got. And if you don't get everything done, doesn't matter you've got something done rather than just sitting there fuming basically yeah and i i I completely agree mark i think there's there's something i hear i keep saying about grief which we'll come back to in a in a forthcoming episode but you don't get over it you know you have to get through it and the more we sort of deny the grief of what we've lost the less able we are to value what we still have Uh, and that's not like an optimist's glass half full mentality or even the sort of pessimist glass half empty perspective or even the realists asking, you know, is this half a glass of piss? Um, but, there's, <laughs> but, there's, uh, but there's certainly a sort of healthy pragmatism to work with and make the best of what you've got. Yeah, I, I've, I've decided this year is what I'm, I'm calling my jujitsu year, which is, you know, every every bit of negativity that comes my way or negative thought, I, I'm desperately trying to turn it on its head. Now, so, for instance, my youngest, the wonderful Harris, is waking up between four and six o'clock still every morning, uh, which, as you can imagine, is is traumatic and difficult to deal with when you've hardly had any sleep. But you know, and now I'm going like, okay, well, I get this moment with my son early in the morning, which is great. But also, I was thinking, if I was doing this sort of drawing normal times, I'd, be, I'd probably have to go into a meeting looking like crap. Whereas I can get away with it now. I can st- go onto a Zoom meeting. I can still be wearing my pajamas, you know, on the bottom half and be looking shabby and probably get away with it. So it, it, in a way, okay, it's good that he's doing this in lockdown rather than not lockdown because I can get away with a bunch of stuff. Or homeschooling, I was getting frustrated about all the homeschooling, but now I'm saying it's it's a real privilege to see how teachers work and I can use what they're doing to help with my son and his intellectual development. So it's kind of like just trying to find that, okay, this is rubbish. Okay, what's good about it? Okay, just amplify that. It was um, Jesse Owens, the Olympic sprinter, who said, find the good in the world, amplify it Mm. wherever you see it. And I think when there's, you know, you can still find the good in these times. And by amplifying it around you, you actually find yourself just relaxing a little bit, I think. Yeah, no, exactly. I'm totally conscious of the relative privilege that we all enjoy. But um, certainly full-time single parenthood has actually been a massively joyous experience for me, um, albeit a relentless one. And, you know, Mark, like you, I can sort of organise my work around my daughter and give her loads of undivided attention, which she obviously really loves. And Does, does she get any emails? Has she got any emails recently? <laughs> 200,000. <laughs> and, yeah, it's a sort of vignette of that experience. I was woken at, on Wednesday morning at 1am by her running into my bedroom screaming, Daddy, Daddy, there's something on my leg. Which, you know, I sort of, I go to bed at half nine these days. So uh, I sort of roused myself from my slumber and it turned out on closer inspection just to be a large poo in her pyjama trousers. Her, um, own, her own or, or yours? Yeah, yeah. No, uh, <laughs> I, it's that sort of moment that makes it all worthwhile. You you have to take all responsibility. You realise, Mark, you talked about seeing how teachers work, but knowing there are no teachers and there are no nursery uh, staff, you realise all of your child's development is down to you, and that is a good and a bad thing. So when my daughter asked me in the bath this evening if we could play, um, we played various games in the bath. Tonight she wanted to play Sonic the Hedgehog goes to the massage parlour. And she's only been with me and Lucy for the last year. So that's come from one of us. And I'm not taking that. That's not me. 
yeah. No, it's, it's a relentless mirror, isn't it? It's like, I asked my daughter where something was the other day, and she just went, just turned around and goes, it's a mystery, Daddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. On my son said the other day, I lost something. He said, well, where did you last have it, Daddy? with that patronizing tone yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. they are mirrors aren't they so i mean so john do you conclude you're a good parent terrible parent middling parent how 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 would you score i think it's it's too early to tell under lockdown um because at the moment you know there was a there was a point the other night where she voluntarily and i've never showed her this she took the toothpaste into the shower cubicle and started rolling it up from the bottom so that she, I said, we'll get a new toothpaste out. And she said, no. And she started rolling it up from the bottom. And it, I was so flooded with pride and love for her that, you know, I just thought, God, I'm doing this really well. But then actually, I know when I do that to Lucy, it drives her mad. So I think we would need to release Elsie back into the wild to really see the effect of what a year with me has done to her. At the moment, I think, you know, I'm doing all right. And then it could be that she goes into nursery and comes back in tears every day. And the kids just keep saying, I'm weird, Daddy. The kids stop stop alphabetizing my shit is what they keep saying to me, Daddy. <laughs> What's that all about? No, but given, I mean, given your original questions, John, you know, has that uh, got any tips, not necessarily on staying optimistic, but actually on how to handle some of the pressures of a lockdown? I, I did want to give a mention to my amazing friend Imogen Wall, who's actually a – she's a former frontline disaster response worker, and she has been – in the thick of some of the most horrific sort of humanitarian disasters from the Haiti earthquake to the Indonesian tsunami to the Ebola response uh, in Africa. Um, And she's actually a former BBC journalist and qualified mental health worker. She's put together an entirely free online course for what she's calling sort of personal psychological PPE. Uh, And we'll we'll tweet a link for this uh, so people can find it because it is free and online and available to everyone. And uh, what I love about it is because she addresses the the body's amygdala response. You know, there is no lion. And a lot of the threat of COVID is triggering, you know, this very physiological and psychological response in us. Uh, but what she shows you is how to engage the parasympathetic nervous system and get all the good hormones uh, and chemicals flowing again. So whether it's oxytocin, the love hormone which you get from playing with your kids, like we've just been talking about, um, serotonin, the mood stabilizer, which you get from exercise, connection with nature, meditation, and those type of practices, the dopamine, the sort of reward chemical for completing those tasks uh, and taking those little acts of self-care, uh, or the endorphins, uh, which are the painkillers, uh, which you get from laughter and exercise and comedy, which you know we know a little bit about. But what I love about what Imogen's done—not from is working it... with John—I was, you know, was just waiting. I was going to say I know you lot know a lot about comedy because you keep quoting other fucking comedians while I talk. <laughs> well, what's clever about what Imogen's done is that she helps you find what works specifically for you. So it's quite a bespoke sort of program and surprising shares she's had in session so far include people saying watching horror movies is part of their coping mechanism which i guess your own confined situation inevitably feels less awful if you're watching the entire saw series back to back because you're going oh well life's not so bad is it i haven't had to <laughs> i haven't had to cut up my own eyeball to get a key to the front door um uh, knitting toy <laughs> elephants which is a little bit more benign and playing with ferrets which i liked and as that particular participant noted he goes it's impossible to be stressed when you're chasing a ferret around your living room i disagree if i found a ferret going around my fucking living room i'd be through the bl- oh, where did that come from how did it get in here get it away from the kids i would be fucking through the roof 
Come on, people put them down their trousers with no pants on. Uh, is it better to find a poo or a ferret in your daughter's pajamas? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a poo. Yeah, a title for this episode. Yeah, and Imogen's just got, she's got loads of clever things, but one of the things that's really good is you know, how to sort of monitor how full your own particular stress bucket is and, and how to empty it. So I, I thoroughly recommend that if people want a bit more detailed, practical stuff rather than our, you know, well-intentioned but um, interesting witterings. I will go back as well to the thing that I always say, which is exercise, is, is if they discovered it as a drug now, they said you can do this thing for half an hour and it will reduce your risk of loads of diseases, it'll improve your mood, it'll boost your endorphins, it'll help you sleep better, it'll improve your sex life. You'd be going, it's a miracle drug, it's impossible nothing can do that but actually exercise you know half an hour exercise is one of the best things you can do i know that and we've had this conversation before and i'm i'm at a point now in my sort of mental well-being journey or whatever we call it these days where i just don't fucking want to and i know exercise is going to make me <laughs> i just haven't done any for weeks and it, it goes back to that acceptance thing i've just had to accept i'm not going to and i will at some point I'll go for a run and I will feel better and then I'll probably go for a run every day for a couple of weeks and then it'll be sort of a routine. Right now, the best thing I can do is just accept I'm going to eat a lot of shit and not look after myself. And then when things get better, I'll probably, you know, it'll all balance out. But at the moment, just even hearing you say that a run will make you feel better, I just thought, oh, fuck that. So will a bar of chocolate. Um, (laughs) But you are exactly right. Um, We all have to, you know, look after ourselves. And I'll reiterate this point that I, I loved from the those of you that have maybe come to the podcast uh, over the last year but not gone back and listened to the back catalogue, the first one, you talk about nourishing other things and, and the importance of that for your mental health. And I think it was Ed, you talked about, you know, just, just get a house plan or something that you can look after to shift the focus from yourself to caring for this other thing. And I think that I've had this week, we've moved house may explain some of my stress levels moved from an area we haven't moved far we've moved you know less than 100 miles from where we live we've gone from an area where i recycled pretty much everything on a regular basis to a a different district it drives me fucking mad where now they'll take plastic bottles but not yogurt pots or you know takeaway cartons or any other kind of plastic and they don't do composting, which they used to do where I live. So this week we finally got around to buying a home composter and setting that up. And that's become like my, that is the thing that has made me feel best for for such a long time. Just tossing a tangerine peel into a composter it sort of starts to feel like I'm saving the world, which I'm not. Right, I've got two questions for you, John. Yes. Um, have you weed into your composter? Or into your compost. That's apparently very good for it. My friend mm. Paul, to help him with some some shredding of some bits still on the compost, and I, I poured it onto the compost and, and smoothed it over. And he said, "He said, oh yeah, there's seven buckets of wee in there as well." As I looked at my hand, uh, <laughs> apparently the ammonia is very good. So, first question: Have you weed into your compost? Because apparently, that's and the second thing, which I think is more important than talking about mental health, if you've moved house, does that mean that there is now somebody else sat in the dog and bastard? And do you have? A dog and bastard two plan because I worry for you. You're you know a man who needs his own bespoke mm. pub in a separate building within you know a one minute walk of the house. I think. Uh, I mean, relating both answers back to the dog and bastard, I have not weed in our composter, but it does explain why the bush that was outside the old dog and bastard thrived so well. Um, <laughs> because some nights I just couldn't be bothered to do the six meters indoors to go to the toilet. So I used to stagger out in the middle of the night and piss on that bush. Um, the dog and bastard is currently 
uh, available for someone to move into um, and take on as they see fit. And the house we live in now has has a, a spare bedroom, which has been earmarked for, I can't call it the dog and bastard because it would be like, you know, a dog dying and getting the same breed of dog and calling it the same name. Just out of respect for the dog and bastard, I have to call it something else. I will take suggestions from listeners. Yeah, the bog, um, the bog and dastard. I had a suggestion from uh, my friend Russell Howard, which is I think the whippet and wanker, <laughs> um, or the beagle and bastard, or it's something along those lines. Um, I will take. I, I currently favour something on the sort of Marcelo Bielsa, the Bielsa's arms. Um, mm into which we'd all love to fall. But no, I've sacrificed the dog and bastard for the happiness of my family. So uh, let's talk about, going back to lockdown and mental health, one thing that has happened a a lot in 2020 is people making these changes. People are moving house. People are changing jobs. I have uh, shared my own change. Uh, Either of you to any sort of concrete changes or things that are different about you 2021 than than the you last year mm, well i'm also going to move house um as, as you've done I, I can recommend a wonderful property <laughs> yeah <you> <laughs> but i've decided to move out of london after almost 25 years it's not the end of the love affair but it is going to become a long distance relationship because i'm going to go back to my roots in norfolk where i've got lots of old friends and family um and I'm doing it mainly because I want my daughter to experience, you know, the same sort of expansive rural freedom that I was lucky enough to have as a kid. And, you know, we can go and be citizens of nowhere, working largely remotely. Uh, and I'd toyed with the idea for years, but I guess the last 12 months has been a real tipping point to finally galvanize me into action and otherwise i'd most likely still be in the same flat in brixton when i retire chuntering on about how a move to the country might be nice to some bewildered hipsters in my local pub Mm, so you're leaving that's great i'm leaving i'm (laughs) (laughs) it's a very odd time to move house i'll say that moving at a time when you cannot do any of the things that establish you in you know, so yeah. we've we've moved broadly to be a little closer to London for mine and Lucy's work. That's not happening. We've moved for Elsie's school. That's not happening. You know, I've got a, a friend where we've moved to that I've known since I was at school. Can't see. We've lived here a few weeks. Haven't seen him other than on WhatsApp. So all the things you do to sort of mark yourself in a new area, try out the local pub, move to the lo- you know, yeah. try the local restaurants. We haven't done any of that. So we're in a sort of it's sort of like being in purgatory. We just we exist in a different house that obviously, because we've just moved into it, is not as good as the old one. It's not set up. It smells different. Everything's in boxes. Mm. Good luck, mate. <laughs> um, Mark, talk to me about Stevenson 2021. Uh, well, it comes back to what I was saying earlier. Is I've just decided to stop worrying, really. I think I've, that's kind of acceptance. I was reminded of this. There's, I don't know if you've seen Bridge of Spies, a great Spielberg movie about um, Rudolph Abel who was a Russian spy and and he was represented by um, this lawyer who was played by Tom Hanks in the movie. And Rudolf Abel is basically, you know, being prosecuted for being a spy and it's all getting very, very terrible. And he, But he remains remarkably calm throughout the entire movie. And apparently he was like that. And Tom Hanks' character goes to him, do you never worry? And he just goes, would it help? And I think there's something really powerful about that. It's like, okay, well, I can worry about it. But is, is worrying about it going to change it? Probably 
not. So I, I'm just trying to replace worry with care, basically. So, And I think that's happened in lockdown because of this relentlessness. It's kind of like, you know what? Life is just going to happen to me and I can just do what I can where I am. And you know, rather than being full of grief um, about the things that we've lost in the world, it reminds me of how much I love the world we've got. So, you know, I'm just trying to you know, sort of twist those those things really. And I am trying to drink less, but I am failing miserably at that. Well, I mean, you're you're trying. Do, do you think we should all be doing dry January? I hear a lot of talk about it. I think dry January now. I mean, given there are so oh, yeah. few, I mean, you know, there's no denying that drinking less is a really good, positive health move in in one way. But I mean, there's so few pleasures at the moment. I think if you added onto that, you couldn't even have a glass of wine at the end of a difficult day, and you like that. Then I think, I think, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think historically dry January is about you've just had a massive Christmas, you know, everything's all right. Try and be a bit more positive in January. But I think you know, there's no reason you can't do dry April. You can't just say, right, well, you know, things are shit now. I'm going to have a beer. I mean, I speak as someone who is, we always reveal what I'm drinking. Oh, you still when I was in the dog of Aston, um, <laughs> which I'm fine with because I've made a move for my family. Yeah. Um, I'm drinking alcohol-free beer during this uh, podcast because I'm trying to drink less. But what I've discovered is if you buy alcohol-free beer, they don't do the job. They taste nice. What I've done is I've started – I realized the other day I was putting some furniture together and trying to school Elsie at the same time, and I thought, oh, these aren't real beers, so I can have one of those at lunchtime because it doesn't count. So what I've really done is bought a load of alcohol-free beers to drink during the day, and then I drink alcohol beers at night. <laughs> so I'm just, just doubling the amount I'm drinking, but half of it is non-alcoholic beer. So it's served no purpose whatsoever, other than I now have a range of afternoon and breakfast beers in my fridge. <laughs> I was going to say, that's, that's a slippery slope, isn't it? It's getting to yeah. the habit, habit of a breakfast beer, even if it's non-alcoholic. So discussing acceptance and where we are but also discussing that it is an important if not the pivotal year it is an important year can you discuss some reasonable objectives or or is even that too strong should we take it as it comes or do we have to say right these are the things i want for this year and what are they well i think yeah i mean i'm hoping that we have a successful climate change conference in Glasgow and I hope that the military climate alliance I'm trying to get off the ground is announced or something happens there that's a definite objective for me I'd like to carry on doing the podcast because you know regardless of the fact that I think it's probably vaguely useful I enjoy being with you chaps and uh, it's been a great solve for my soul uh, finally get my third book proposal uh, done. <laughs> uh, finish the, the the quantum pig album that's been languishing in lockdown um, I'd like to become a better parent. I'd like to get some fucking sleep. Uh, but finally, I think what I'd re- I think the objective for me, getting back to alcohol, is at some point in this year, there will be a moment where I'll be able to go to a pub and have a proper pint. Mm. And that that seems to me to be something to really look forward to. And on that, um, you know, because if you have if you'd heard the episode on the future of pubs, that's actually stimulated us to think about setting up a new kind of pub company. So watch this space because there may well be some pub related action generated by this podcast where we go and do good things in pubs. So maybe that pint will be in a pub that we own. It was always going to be the episode that led to us three actually doing something, wasn't it? We've covered a lot of topics. <laughs> there is no single episode where we've said, and off the back of that, we've actually set something up. One episode on pubs. Bang. <laughs> Let's set up a company and change shit. 
<laughs> Ed, what would you like to uh, achieve for 2021? Well, I'm going to write two more poetry collections just to overtake Mark in the publishing stakes. And doesn't count. Doesn't count. Doesn't count. Well, doesn't I mean, count. The, these are, these are criteria which are entirely arbitrary. Um, <laughs> I maybe I'd like to write a book with you two, lovely gentlemen. Yeah, we've been approached by a few publishers, haven't we? Saying, "Oh, your podcast's quite good." You know, would you like that to would really it? level the field, wouldn't it? And how do we well, count that one? Who yeah, writes the most words in it? Do you get extra percentage of? The oh God, credit? I just realised it'd be a fucking nightmare. We'd never finish it. We just argue. We don't end up falling out. It'd be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, to actually complete and do my um, house move to Norfolk will be a beautiful thing. Um, I also want to have a pint, but um, I want to have a pint in a specific pub in the Locks Inn uh, that we talked about in the pub episode with my fellow co-owners. Um, the share issue is now live, so save the locks.com if anyone else wants to get involved. We've already got £100,000 um, invested in the first few days, so that's cut off to a flying start. So I'd really love to have a summer ale by the river um, at the Locks Inn. And I'd, I'd really love to go to a festival. I mean, I really miss... You know, a summer evening dancing under the stars with a huge crowd of people to amazing music. You know, that is the the opposite of lockdown introspection. It's it's a beautiful thing. It's what cultivates the hive mind. You know, it's mm. it's doing things in crowds together in nature, um, and it's a it's a wonderful wonderful part of my life that I'm I'm really really hankering after. Yeah, and I bet you'll get into bloody fancy dress, won't you? As well, knowing you, you'll dress up, of as, a, dress up as a bloody shark or something. Yeah, you can. well, that's well, that's one thing I have been doing. I mean, my daughter and I, I've, I've done a <laughs> lot of fancy dress. Yeah, so around, we've been doing fancy dress. Around. Well, Claire Faye will say to me, she goes, "Daddy, I want, let's do dressing up," um, and I've allowed her to dress me, which meant the other evening I found myself wearing a, a bright orange wig, uh, a, a kind of Venetian eye mask, and a captain's hat. Uh, and that was her selected look, and it was like, "Oh, this is this is." I mean, this I will say this: she's only picking things that are in the house. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Elsie play the same game, but it's a lot less dangerous when all she's looking at is cardigans. Um, so, John, so Ed was talking about festivals and all that kind of stuff. What about mm. what about you? Do you, you want to get back out on tour? What's Richardson's twenty twenty one? I mean, as far as touring goes, I mean, in a world where, as you say, Glastonbury's just been cancelled, that's 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 global news. It's one of the biggest festivals on the planet. I just can't have any sense of any importance of my work. And I feel, I was thinking this week about people coming out. I almost feel like I should stand down because I don't want anyone's first show after COVID to be me. I mean, what a fucking <laughs> letdown. I feel like the only show that should tour after lockdown is David Attenborough tours the country and gives birth on stage every night to a new species live on stage <laughs> until we redress the balance of all the species we've got rid of. And that that's a gig to see, isn't it? Fucking hell, did you see the gig last night where Attenborough gave birth to a new kind of dolphin? What a fucking... <laughs> it shouldn't just be me. I, I tell you what, bloody hell, 12 months with me, she's still loading the dishwasher wrong. But, you know, it should be epic. It should be, as you say, you know, I, I want people to have all the things they want back. I want it to be topless, dancing under the stars, listening to your favourite band. I can't imagine it's me in fucking Telford that anyone wants. <laughs> so, I, and I, But I can't be the one to say that. I can't cancel my... T- I can't put out a press release saying, it suddenly dawned on me that I'm shit and irrelevant, so I'm not going to tour. I'm just going to stay at home and dress up with my daughter. Daughter, pictures online at Lucy Beaumont comic yeah. but I feel like somebody should just tell me whether it's the government or someone should just say here's a list of things that we just we just don't need this year um and then I'll go right fine I've been told let's let's buy that pub that we were going to buy and I'll you know I'll be in charge of scampy fries or whatever 
small fry job I can be given to keep me busy. How can we get how can we get your mojo back, John? How can we get your desire to tour back? What 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 would it take? I don't know. I think my mojo's broadly. It's all right. It's just moved on to other things. I think, you know, as, as we've all said, I, I, I'm incredibly blessed. Apart from anything, you know, my immediate family, we're all well. And I play with my daughter a lot. And she's going to go to school. They're going to fucking steal her from me, those pricks in September. She's just going to have to go there <laughs> five days a week. So then, you know, then my mojo will come back because I'll realise the thing I've enjoyed about this year is gone and she'll start having other influences and talking like other people. At the moment, she just talks like me, plays the games I like and sounds like me. So I'll just do that for the rest of the year. And, got it. You know. Send her out on tour. If she can, yes. she's basically <laughs> a little you. Just say, you know, she likes dressing up. Just here's a, here's a few pointers. She's funnier than me. You never go out on the road with someone you know can smash a gig better than you. I'm not, I'm not getting up stage by my own daughter. But broadly, you know, I miss the same things you miss. I want, I want a pint in a pub. I miss shit pubs. I miss like quiet shit pubs with bad lager booze. I want to end my career and buy a pub. Um, let's get away from ourselves. I've got to say, I'm sorry. I've just got. I've just got to say, uh, it just proves how good you are at it because you're the only person I know who can talk about how rubbish they are at making people laugh while simultaneously making people laugh a lot. <laughs> yes, well, you're a unique audience and that's why we work well together. And if, you're willing to, if you're willing to be an audience of two and follow me around for 40 nights starting in September, maybe I'll go on your own. Um, Away from ourselves, now the one thing I know about you, having worked intensely with you for a year, you don't like being called futurists and you don't like being asked what is going to happen in 2021. What might happen? Give us some optimism. Let's talk about what what do you think might happen this year? I, I think we have reached a bit of a pivotal moment with COVID. I think the financial industry and the markets are going to get really serious, I think, this year start to about pricing in climate change and all that and all those kind of biodiversity risks in it in a way that will move into legislation and regulation i think in a in a, in a sizable way that the, the the signs have been there for a while and i think the insurance industry is going to step up to the mark probably i mean i'm hoping it's going it's definitely going to happen at some point in the next five years and it might be this year where you know you just won't be able to get insurance for a coal-fired power plant anymore because it's just not you know it's not the way things are done i think that when that sort of stuff starts to shift you've got you know real fuel in the engine of battling climate change and i think one thing conversation that's going to happen this year which hasn't been happening probably but really needs to is we're going to start talking about carbon sequestration and storage so there is not enough biomass in the world to store all the carbon we need to take out the atmosphere to get us to a stable climate and so we're going to have to find ways of pulling it out of the sky and storing it underground and all that kind of stuff and and there's going to be a huge market for doing that this is going to be an industry it's going to be bigger than the oil and gas industry at its current state and i think we're going to have to start talking seriously about that across you know environmental groups across government across private sector yeah i think those are the two big things and then and of course we will in some way come out of lockdown and I think, you know, I'm really interested to see what, what stays with me, you know, in in, a, in five years' time. People are interested to go, what was it during that period that changed in me that's still with me and indeed with us? You know, I think there'll be a real, I think we'll come out of it and look at ourselves and there'll be this moment of like, how we changed? It's been a rite of passage. And I think that we're all going to feel it when we finally start coming out of that lockdown. Ed? Well, as we always say, fuck predictions. But um, I'm on a, <laughs> on, on, on a sombre note... Um, and I think global temperature records will most likely be broken again um, this year, but that's not so big news because it happens pretty much every year, sadly. But I think on a positive note, I think we could be 
building on the point that Mark's just making, perhaps this is the beginning of the end of individualism, that so much of this sort of mindfulness, self-centered approach to life, the sort of sort of slightly neoliberal consumer rights piece where we're all obsessed with ourselves. Maybe that will begin to end off the back of the coming out from the pandemic. Uh, and I mentioned the hive mind earlier, but I do believe that sort of cultivating that much more collaborative and cohesive type of approach could be a really interesting thing which might start to unfold this year. Um, and that's also connected into the second thing, which I think is already happening, but the sort of radical relocalization as people spend more time both at home and in their local neighbourhoods. You know, we've we touched on it before, but I don't think the commute will come back in the same way that it existed before, which means when people work from home, they probably will use local shops more. They probably will spend time in in local pubs in the, in the same way they might have done their shopping or, or, or visited pubs and restaurants in town when they were commuting. And I think that's a really healthy and very, you know, vibrantly sustainable way for all sorts of socioeconomic and, and cultural and environmental reasons. And Paris has already started to lead the way on this with the idea of the 15-minute city where, you know, everything can happen within 15-minute walk of your house uh, and these sort of hub-style neighbourhoods. And in, in many senses, you know, in a city like London, that's what it used to be like before, you know, London as the metropolis swallowed up all the little villages that surrounded it and became uh, the sort of mega city it is today. So I, I think the end of individualism and that radical relocalization uh, are, are two really positive, optimistic things that we could start to see unfold more widely this year. So on your last answers and, and relating back to the to the first show we did and the sort of the COVID episode we did at the start of it all last year, we talked about those things that, and we talked about the opportunities that COVID presents in terms of change. Pretty much a year into it now, what do you think are the things that have changed forever? What do you think those changes that have happened in you and for the world are just things we're going to live with now? Things will never be the same again. What What have we lost? What's changed? For me, there's there's something around hope being much more important than optimism, um, because optimism can often be that sort of false flag. Uh, and I hate to say it, but we kind of we've seen it repeatedly in our own prime minister, who has constantly promised optimistic solutions which are completely ungrounded in reality. Which is why we're in our third lockdown with a eighteen hundred people dying a day. Um, and so we can be hopeful that there is light at the end of the tunnel, even if we don't know how long that particular tunnel is. But the optimism has been really counterproductive, I think, and has actually been sort of pretty dangerous. I think hopefully we might, as we were discussing earlier, start to make these connections right at the start of the show, you know, between climate and ecological degradation and the zoonosis that leads to pandemics and actually rediscover a humour and humility about our place in the world and, and sitting with some of the discomfort, you know, how do we how do we deconstruct our own arrogance and hubris uh, a bit? And I read a wonderful article about um, Neolithic cave paintings uh, earlier this year and, and how they portrayed the relationship and dynamic between the hunter and the hunted, you know, which actually was far more two-way uh, in those days with humans almost certainly in a relatively lowly position on the food chain. You know, there was all sorts of things that used to quite like eating us uh, as well. So we certainly weren't at the apex. And the author pointed out that those early people knew they were meat and they also seemed to know that they knew that they were meat. Uh, and also they were meat that could think. And he said, you know, if you think about that long enough, it's actually quite funny. 
having that sort of self-reference that, you know, hey, hang on, we're the meat, but we're thinking meat. And I think we need to try and tune into that joke a bit more because we're not on the top of the tree. We're we're part of the tree uh, and we need to stop being so cocky. Mm, I think I agree with that there. I think the thing that's changed is I think we have been humbled as a species um, and, and pushed out of our arrogance. And I think that is always a good thing. Humility is never a bad thing. And I, and I don't think that's going away. I, I said at the beginning of the pandemic, if we get a vaccine really quickly, then not much will change. But if it goes on for you know six months, a year, 18 months or whatever, then we will change because we'll have been forced to sit and think about what we've lost and what we want and who we are. And that period of reflection, I think, is really powerful so that i say humbling but not in a bad way and actually i think in a in a really really good way and i think i you know personally i feel i've been humbled you know some of my optimism about how you know i could change the world or make the world a better place you know has been replaced with a with more humility and i think that's only good for me and and for the people around me what about you john what's changed for you i'll tell you what's uh, changed for me in the last 90 seconds was the title of my tour, which was the nitwit and was a guy without his mojo. But I tell you, the guy who's excited to tour will be bringing his show Thinking Meat uh, to <laughs> theatres up and down the country. I can see the poster. I know what I want to talk about. Thinking Meat, it's just um, it's great. It's it's the great way job. I've always wanted it to be described. <laughs> I mean, I'll have to put thinking in inverted commas just to save mm. any sarcastic comments. But um, we will continue to do uh, the podcast. That is that is the inevitable. Next week, something very exciting, which we'll come to shortly. But worth saying, the email is fixed. If you have anything you want us to talk about, we love uh, your suggestions for topics and episodes. So send those in. Uh, we will tell you all about what's coming up next week. But first of all, let's hear how you can get in touch. Here's the information on where you can reach us. You can reach us by email at hello at johnandthefuturenauts.com. That's hello at john, J-O-N, and the futurenauts, all one word, dot com. We have our own show Twitter account, which is at J and the F. And of course, you can reach us individually on Twitter too. I am at Ron Richardson, John Richardson with the first letter swapped around. That's what I've done there. And you can reach Ed and Mark at the following. I'm Ed Gillespie at Frucool, which is at F-R-U-C-O-O-L. And I'm Mark Stevenson, and you can find me at Optimist on Tour. So you can email us 200,000 times. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, maybe Twitter's safest for for the time being. Um, Worth pointing out as well, I think one of the reasons that the the loop was so bad is everyone who emailed us got your out-of-office reply until the point at which... Our email uh, host banned us from sending any more emails, at which point we entered a loop where they emailed us to say, we cannot deliver this email because you've sent too many emails. And your email tried to reply to that email with an out-of-office reply, which obviously then couldn't be sent. So they sent you another email saying, we can't deliver that. You've sent too many emails. And that's why Mark has a hangover now. So... Um, if in doubt, tweet it out. That's probably safest at J and the F. But um, thank you as ever for your company this week. Next week, we are joined by James Thornton and Brian Eno to discuss Client Earth, which, if you have listened to every episode, you'll remember was one of the uh, 
positives that we uh, talked about in terms of uh, the future of the climate. It, hopefully it will be a, 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 an interesting and engaging and exciting chat. So stay tuned for that one. And uh, for this week, thank you, Mark. And thank you, Ed. Thank you, John. And I really do want you to go on tour because I've never had a celebrity mate before. And I've, I want to go to one of your shows and be able to turn to the person next to me and go, oh, I know him. He's a, he's a mate. I've never been able to do it. So if you don't tour, I can't have that little moment of sort of egotistical, oh, yeah, I know the guy on stage. So could you? I thought we were um, going to go along like the two guys in the Muppets. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we just tackle you. The Waldorf and Statler throw yes. copies of your yeah. box down onto the stage. <laughs> Well, if nothing else, I will tour so that you two can come and say to the people, before you leave, I don't know you're putting your coat on there, I actually know him. Um, I was was there when he predicted that this show would be shit. (laughs) (laughs) Have a great week. Take care of each other and the planet. Bye. (laughs) 